Rach, thanks for the worship. That was awesome. And um, I wish we could linger in that place. But I've got a question to ask us this morning. What's wrong with me? Or what's wrong with my life? And have you ever asked yourself that question? Nothing seems to gel. Nothing excites. You're not sure where your life is going. As the writer of Ecclesiastes says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I mean, that's such an encouragement, isn't it? So how do we, as faithful Christians, come to the place where we seem to have lost our way? Perhaps it's because we suffer what is now diagnosed as one of the major problems we face in life today. It's called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness is defined as a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform tasks faster and to get flustered when encountering any form of delay. Ring a bell? Does that describe any part of your life? It certainly has my name on it. I think we all face this kind of problem in varying degrees, in varying ways, at varying times, or perhaps all the time. It robs us of our peace and joy, and it stops us loving God, our spouses and our families, our neighbors, wherever we live and work. We're just too busy to give time to them let alone time for ourselves. At Princeton University, they did a study with seminary students. They divided the students into three groups, and they said to them, you're going to have to get across campus to preach a message on the Good Samaritan. And then they told the first group, you're going to be late so you better get going. They told the second group, if you go now, you might just make it. And they told the third group, if you leave now, you'll get there in plenty of time, you'll probably have about half an hour on the other side. And then they dressed an actor up as a homeless person and put him in an alley they would have to go through to get across campus. Of the people who had plenty of time to get there, and even time to be there ahead of time, 65% of them stopped to offer the homeless man help. Of the group that were told if you leave now, you might just make it on time. 43% of them stopped to offer the homeless man help. And of the group that were told they were going to be late 
already and they really had to get a move on, only 10% of them stopped to offer help to the supposedly homeless man. This is a group of seminary students going to teach a message on the Good Samaritan. I think it sums it up. As followers of Jesus, are we too tired or too busy to come to church, to attend a connect group, a prayer meeting? I think the eight of us out of the whole church who came to the prayer breakfast on Saturday morning says something about how tired and busy we are. And I'm not saying this to put a guilt trip on anyone, but as your leader, I really want you to consider your life and your priorities. Are we too tired to seek his presence, to listen for his still, small voice, to read our Bibles, or to pray? Do we move through life so stressed out and on edge that we are quick to snap at everyone around us And worst of all, how does this affect our spiritual life? John Ortberg, a great teacher, says, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so rushed and distracted and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. I was always challenged when I first became a Christian of the story of Mary and Martha. When Jesus was visiting their home and Martha was rushing around doing all the cooking, all the preparation, all the work, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And I could so identify with Martha. And I just thought, how could... Mary sit there and make her do all the work. Struggled so much with it. And so did Martha. Because she said to Jesus, hey, can't you get Mary to get off her and come and do some work? And this was Jesus' answer in Luke chapter 10, 41 and 42. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Could you read that again and put in your own name in somewhere? So will you read, Jill, Jill, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Or will you read, Jill has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. What is the one thing Mary chose? It was to be with Jesus. Jesus' invitation to his disciples was to come and follow me. Come and follow me. And his invitation is to us too. Knowing about Jesus isn't enough. Knowing who Jesus is isn't enough. Knowledge on its own 
isn't enough. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 says, Knowledge puffs up. Now, more than ever, we live in the information age where we have knowledge at our fingertips. If we can't Google it, ask Siri or Alexa. In Jesus' time, it took 1,500 years for the knowledge they had at that time to double. By the 1980s, knowledge doubled every 12 months. Now, it is estimated that knowledge doubles every 12 hours. But with all this knowledge, do we actually live better lives? Or are we more anxious, scattered, and distracted than ever before? Research shows we are so overloaded with information, we rarely do anything about what we learn. What have you done with your Bible study, podcasts, and sermons you've heard in the last year? This is not how we follow Jesus. He ended his Sermon on the Mount with the stark warning to those who, like the foolish man who built his house on the sand, hear the words of mine and do not put them into practice. I think this hurry sickness and information overload are possible reasons why we aren't living life to the full, the life Jesus died to give us, but we are living in spiritual houses built on shifting sand. So what is the solution? I believe God in his wisdom is restoring the art of spiritual formation or transformation to the church today to counteract the pressures we feel as we live our busy and often unfulfilled lives. Spiritual transformation comes from partnering with the Trinity as we bring about our ache for change, our longing for belonging, our desperation to make a difference as we keep company with Jesus by making space for him through the spiritual disciplines or practices. A spiritual practice puts us in the place to offer ourselves lovingly and obediently to partner with the Holy Spirit to become an ever-fresh image of Jesus. This practice gives the Holy Spirit space to brood over our souls. The Holy Spirit knows the practices that best suit our unique communion with God. It's not a one-size-fits-all practice, but a spiritual rhythm that helps us find the face of God in Christ. My aim today and over the next season is to help you find your unique rhythms and practices as I offer you some of the ones I've learnt and practiced.
So how do we live like Jesus lived, only doing what he saw his father doing? How do we follow him? I think we have to do what Jesus did. And Jesus was never in a hurry. Luke 5.16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Silence, solitude, prayer. These are all spiritual practices. There's nothing magical. There's nothing tricky. There's nothing that you need a degree to get. Just do what Jesus did. Withdraw, be alone, pray. Jesus slowed down. There's a spiritual practice for you. Slow down. And he took time out to be with the Father. I don't mean slowing down with a glass of wine and Netflix on. I mean slowing down and spending time in the Lord's presence. We call that a spiritual practice. How can we learn to do this? Let's see what Jesus says in his invitation in Matthew Chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light do you feel worried burdened a bone deep tiredness not just in your mind and body but in your soul Jesus invites us to an easy way to shoulder the weight of life's problems with his promise of love, joy, and peace. Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher, and like every rabbi in his day, Jesus had two things. First, he had a yoke. He wasn't a farmer, he was a rabbi, so it wasn't a yoke like you would use to harness oxen to the plow. But it was a rabbi's way of teaching. It was the idiom they used in Hebrew times. It was the rabbi's way of teaching the Torah. It was his set of teachings on how to be human, how to live life. It was teaching how to shoulder the crippling weight of life. Marriage, children, divorce, prayer, Money, sex, conflict resolution, government, all of life. A yoke is how you shoulder a load. And what made Jesus' teaching unique was that his yoke was easy. A yoke might seem a strange way to find rest for your souls. A yoke is a work instrument. But Jesus knows the most restful gift he can give us 
is a fresh way to bear responsibilities. We cannot get away from our responsibilities. But instead of offering us a way of escape, Jesus offers us a way to live by taking his yoke and giving our burdens to him. An easy life isn't the solution. An easy yoke is. Second, Jesus had apprentices. The Hebrew word is Talmidim, which can also be translated disciples. To be one of Jesus' Talmidim, you organized your life around three basic goals. Number one, be with Jesus. If you're going to be a disciple, an apprentice, a Talmudim, you have to be with Jesus. The second basic goal was to become like Jesus. Not just to be with him, but to become like him. And the third one was to do what he would do if he were you. Do what Jesus did. So when you're at that point of absolute frustration where you are about to scream and yell and curse and not what Jesus would do in this situation, take a deep breath. What would Jesus do? When our children were little, we had little wristbands that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? And we loved them. I'm not sure the children found them as helpful because every time they stepped out of line or started, we go WWJD, and that would just bring them right back with no answer. It wasn't mummy or daddy having a nag or telling them what to do, WWJD. We loved it. The whole point of apprenticeship is to model all of your life after Jesus, and in doing so, to recover your soul. This is how you experience healing in the deepest part of your being and experience life to the full. This is why he calls us to come and follow him. We are to take his teachings and become like him. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage in the message so can we just breathe in deeply through our noses and breathe out through our mouths and just do that a couple of times just relax it's a wonderful technique just stop you could do it anywhere even when you're driving in that traffic jam breathe in through your nose breathe out through your mouths Let's read it slowly, breathing deeply. So here's Matthew eleven twenty eight in the message. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me.
Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How amazing that we're invited to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. What an invitation. I know it's one I want to respond to. I want to live freely and lightly in company with him. We read stories of how Jesus lived and we want to live like that. But are we ready to adopt his lifestyle? There is a cost to living like Jesus did. There's a cross. There's a death. There's an empty tomb. But there's also a new way of life. In the way of Jesus, death, Emptiness, loneliness, despair, discouragement, they're always followed by resurrection. New life, new hope, new promise. I think we've lost sight of the way of Jesus, that it's a way of life. It's not just a set of ideas. That's what we call theology. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. That's what we call ethics. But it's a lifestyle. We've preached through the seven I am's of Jesus. And we know that he said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The first followers of Jesus in the early church were called people of the way. They weren't called Christians, they were called people of the way. And that's what others saw in them. They lived the way Jesus did. That's how they were identified. That's what the book of Acts is all about, and we'll be going through that. It's teaching people to live the way Jesus lived. To be a follower of the way was a lifestyle, not a theology, not an accumulation of knowledge about him. It was learning to live like him. So to conclude, how do we fix what is wrong in our lives? We slow down and we simplify our lives around what really matters, becoming more like Jesus. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Because the days are evil. 
How will you spend your time? Will you squander it on trivial things or invest in the eternal kind of life? Will you slow down? Can we just go back to the Matthew scripture and maybe just sit for a minute and have a look. Do a little bit of Lectio Divina on it. We've done Lectio Divina before. It just means sacred reading. It just means read through the passage a couple of times and what word jumps out at you. What is God saying to you? Not what I said to you today. What is God saying to you? Just take some time and then we'll ask the worship team to let us finish off with worship and um, please, if this has struck a chord in you, if you are touched by some of the things you've heard and you want some prayer, you want to live freely and lightly, you want to know the unforced rhythms of grace, you want to get rid of hurry sickness, you don't want to keep feeling worn out, burnt out and tired, please come forward when we invite you and let people pray over you. As Rach said, the Spirit was here so beautifully this morning and we trust he will continue to meet with us, rest on us. We sang, look to Jesus, and that's what it's all about. It's not about information that I may have given you. It's looking to Jesus and saying, Lord, what are you saying to me today? So just spend a little more time on that scripture, asking the Lord to reveal what he has for you And then, Rach, when you're ready, the worship team could come up. Thank you.